Hello and welcome to the first 9320 Agenda Show. Uh, we'll be looking at a wide range of general stuff today on the first show. Uh, so apologies if it does run to about seven hours because we will also be doing a quick preview of a rather important match on Sunday and that's the semi-final of the FA Cup against Arsenal of course. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Mr Daisy Cutting himself, Stephen Tudor. Hello Stephen. Hello, how are you? You okay? Well, I know you're not. You're <laughs> suffering from man flu, aren't you? So, Full on man flu, mate, yeah. I'll try and make this as painless as possible. <laughs> Why do you call it man flu? Because it's, it's worse than woman worse. flu. Yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, worse than childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just to show up how pathetic <laughs> men are, really, at dealing with illness, I imagine. Pretty much. <laughs> And uh, as you heard, the, the opinions of the contributors <laughs> are not necessarily the opinions of the podcast. It, it was sarcasm, honest. And I'm also joined by the man who only needs one name, uh, Asan. Hello, Asan. You okay? I'm very okay, although the one name most people call me is Bellend, but <laughs> Well, I'll call you AB if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, right, well, we've got quite a lot to cover. Uh, it's not going to be specifically about City I wanted to look at some general stuff there obviously will be will feed City into it uh, the first thing is I've been thinking about it recently uh, especially when we're discussing how well Pep's done his first year and it's a question should managers be judged solely by results and the reason I ask this is when you look at some of the decisions by referees they've been in the news a lot and how they've changed matches say the Bayern Munich match and I thought about back to Guerrero when he scored that goal against QPR. I wondered what would have happened if he had missed that that shot. <laughs> so sliding doors moment. He misses that shot. Uh, game's pretty much over. We lose the league. Next season, we finish second again. He goes. We lose to Wigan. Everything's the same. Would Mancini, who I, you know, who I love like virtually all City fans, would he still be uh, revered? considered in the same light because of one moment in one football match that he had no control over. And that's why I often beat the drum about you can't just look at a league table to say how well a manager's doing. Start with you, Asa. What, what do you think? What, to start with, what do you think Mancini's position in our history would be if we'd not won against QPR, which was a chaotic match when anything could have happened? Mm. Um Actually, I don't think it would be hugely different because I think that Mancini's very, very particular case in that we won our first trophy in in decades under him. He was responsible for taking the banner down at the Old uh, Old Trafford. There's a lot of things that he did that will make him a legend even before um, the 93-20 moment. So... I'm not sure it's the best example, but <laughs> I do agree with you that his legacy probably would be very different because I don't think then, because I think that's the that's the true sliding doors moment, because it, if Aguero doesn't score that shot, Mancini doesn't start the following season as our manager. So, of course, it com- it would have completely changed. What, you think he'd have gone? It, absolutely. I mean, the, he was he was already... He already had a foot out the door. Ninety-three twenty basically was a stay of execution for Mancini because he was already he had one foot out the door because he was upset that the club were already talking to Guardiola, who'd already announced that he was he was leaving Barcelona. I mean, this is all this is all 
subsequently Mancini said all this, you know, in the in the run up to in the run in in the eleven twelve season, he was furious with 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 City and with the hierarchy because they were already trying to get Pep to the club. So, so no, I I, I think that his legacy would have been different because I think it would have ended at the end of of that match. Right, Steve, what do you think? Does he would? Do you viewed him differently, or do you agree with Asan? Um, well, firstly, apologies. I missed most of Asan's uh, answer there. My girlfriend uh, didn't have a key, so I had to go and let her in. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> well, he just he slagged you off for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, uh, well, in a nutshell, all I said nutshell. was that um, I think that in general, Mancini's legacy would have remained the same, just because he was right. responsible for a lot of other things, including winning the FA Cup, getting that banner down, giving it out to Ferguson, all that stuff that you know. Yeah. Even before ninety three twenty, that moment, there was so much stuff before that that had endeared him to City fans that I don't think that it, the way that we feel about him would have changed hugely. But of course, his legacy would have been different had he not won the Premier League, had he gone at the end of the eleven twelve season. I, well, you know, I pretty much agree with all of that. The only thing I slightly disagree with is to the extent on how differently he'd be perceived. Um, I think. <sighs> It's really difficult for managers. Their jobs are defined by such fine margins, and it's really not fair. Um, and yeah, had it struck the post, Aguero shot, then Mancini. Not only had he, would he have failed to have won as the league, but in such circumstances as well, you know, because we were virtually home and dry, weren't we? Mm, yeah. uh, and then we kind of let it all slip, let United back into it, um, and so that would have been viewed as a failure. Um, so as a person, I think we'd always be kind of he'd be well regarded by blues but perhaps not to anything like the same stature um because it was just momentous what he achieved um well what aguero achieved with, with that one one strike of his boot really um and so it would have been vastly different i think but it wouldn't have like slid into the negative in any way it'd still be a very popular figure at the club yeah i mean i'd keep well i used to me i compete a lot of you know all the the articles I used to write, you know, word documents, and there was still t- at least two I had to write defending Mancini during earlier times. Uh, so it just yeah. shows that virtually every manager, I think, after Ericsson has had it uh, in the neck at some point, you know, has been calls for them to go. To be honest, I, I I should probably say this because most of the people that that know me from Blue Moon that are listening to this will be saying you need to fess up. I wasn't a huge Mancini fan. I, you know, I was highly highly critical of him throughout his tenure at City. Yeah, so I just got, and it's but little things. That's the point. Fine lines. Do would you? Is Ancelotti to blame because Munich no. went out earlier no. than they have done in many years? I, I, I never. Or was Guardiola I, to blame for going out? Because you get to the semi-final of the Champions League, and there's only so much a manager can do. Obviously, tactics are vastly important, but that's when the fine lines really kick in for me. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be viewed as different kind of circumstances as well. I mean, as a whole, looking at it as a whole, I always try not to kind of judge managers on knockout tournaments, whether it be Champions League, right down to kind of a League Cup, because, you know, they're so capricious by their nature. Anything can happen. The fates and fortunes are beyond the manager's control to a certain extent there. But then again, you look at, say, Pellegrini with a semi-final. Now, he deserves huge credit for us reaching a semi-final, but you look at the manner of that performance, and it wasn't, you know, a bad refereeing decision. It wasn't, you know, we were simply outclassed on the day or whatever. 
we just didn't turn up that day. So, so why is you know, that Pellegrini's fault? Because because it was such a flat, lacklustre performance that that kind of played into a lot of my criticisms criticisms of him as a manager anyway. Um, and so you know, my but do you credit team, him with all of the? Do you credit him with all of the? Um, uh, the top performances then do you do it like yeah because you know it's not you know it's a complicated process isn't it kind of a perception of, of a manager or indeed a footballer so it was never out and out criticism I had for Pellegrini but the criticism that I did have that performance against Real Madrid just fed directly into that it was all the stuff about him all the negatives basically um that used to kind of exasperate me um because you know, it, it was such a, a terrible performance. Whereas you look at Ancelotti and you look at Bayern, and I'm sure they're going crazy over in Germany right now. I'm sure he's getting shed loads of abuse. But for me, looking at it from afar, you think it's the Champions League. It's just you know these things <laughs> yeah. do happen. So what about uh, Howard? You, you the first question you asked was how do we judge managers and should they yeah. be judged solely on results? Um, I'm gonna turn this on its head a little bit then so how do you judge like I th- for me I think that Guardiola and Mourinho should be judged in exactly the same fashion on what's happened yeah. this season um, because I, I, yeah. I, I don't believe the idea that like I, I appreciate the fact that Mourinho having some experience in the Premier League gave him some type of, adva- of an advantage but ultimately at that level with the quality of players that they're dealing with, with the amount of money and the resources that they had last summer, I think the league is a fair barometer to judge them on. The question is just, you know, what is deemed acceptable and what isn't deemed acceptable? Certainly, in my opinion, anyway. I don't think that... Because, like, if you're asking, like, can we judge them solely on results? From a league perspective, from a league table perspective, I think you have to, because I think if you don't, then what the heck are you judging them on? I agree with that completely, especially if we're talking about City and United this season Mm. uh, with Mourinho and Pep, because Leicester was a leveller, you know, last season. Leicester and the fact that it was Spurs of all teams who who ran them closest and, you know, Chelsea having their crisis season, that was a leveller. So it wasn't as if... You know, we finished with Pellegrini as league champions, imperious and kind of, you know, really at our peak. We're at an end of a cycle. United, we're at an end of a cycle. Um, and so we kind of started from, well, actually, they were beyond an end of a cycle. They were kind of in disarray, in my opinion. But um, so it could be argued that Mourinho had a tougher job, perhaps. But they were from a relatively same starting point, I would say. Um, or certainly as regards to what they were capable of doing, each manager, with the, with the teams that they had and the money they had at their disposal this summer. So I think it is a fair comparison to kind of, you know, judge what Pep's achieved, what Mourinho's achieved, and say one has done better than the other. Well, I'm not trying to compare the two of them together because it's not about, well, Pep did better than Mourinho, Mourinho's done better than Pep if Mourinho wins the Europa League. It's about the idea of how do we judge them? Like, what's the... You know, what's the criteria for making a judgment on whether a manager in isolation has had a good season or a bad season? Is that is that right, Howard? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Or the the side, but kind of where it where I'm coming from originally. I don't. I'm not going down this paranoia. We've been cheated out of those decisions this season, but I am. (laughs) But let's well hypothetical. Let's not say that City have been really unlucky with decisions. Let but let's say that we did get decisions in those big matches against Chelsea, against Spurs, irrelevant of, you know, and we were, 
that could be like a 10-point turnaround when you think of some of the key decisions in big games. So let's say, because we got decision, let's say we also got one lucky one as well, thrown in for good measure, that turned another game. So Guardiola's three points behind Chelsea at the moment in, because of those decisions that have nothing to do with his management. Is it? We can't then claim he's a better manager, can we? And that's why I can't, the league position for me is not everything because the point I'm suggesting is... So some things are just out of your control. See, I disagree with yeah. that because I think no. I think everybody suffers. Like I, I think that it, uh, it's yeah, but they don't even out, do they? Let's I, I I don't buy into that. Exactly. I but, don't but think it's just out over the course of a season. It doesn't. It doesn't it, it's not about even. It's not. It's not like an equilibrium is restored in terms of the amount of points that you gain, but bad decisions are part and parcel of the day-to-day of any football manager's life. So, and rather than for me, as much as I appreciate what you're saying, Howard, I don't agree with it because I will say, well, okay, but three at the back against Leicester, yeah, when the team had shown that they clearly weren't ready to play three at the back at the previous times that it had been deployed, and then it got dismantled against Leicester, the points that Guardiola could have done something about and didn't, yeah, the fact that Vincent Company potentially could have been introduced earlier in our season, uh, or certainly earlier this year, but was held back. The fact that he himself has said, I was wrong with Delph, I should have given him more minutes. Those are decisions that he's made that have influenced his team and in that sense, influenced results. And that's why I look at a league and I go, yeah, okay, there's that thing about decisions and stuff like that. Everybody's got that. I'm not saying that everybody drops the same amount of points because of bad decisions. What I'm saying is that it's an obstacle that everybody faces, just like injuries are a random obstacle that everybody faces. I'm sorry sorry to put in, but I I don't agree. I I see where you're coming from, Mm -hmm. but I I just do not agree with it because I think it can be split three ways, basically. There's good decisions, poor decisions, and decisions that are taken beyond your control. And Pep, I mean, we, we could all agree or disagree on how many good decisions versus bad decisions he's made this season. And, you know, it would be entirely kind of fair, whoever, you know, because it all comes down to opinion. But the decisions beyond his control far outweigh the poor decisions kind of, uh, you know, Mourinho, for example, has had to deal with. Um, and so that's just bad fortune that's just that has to be taken into account that has to be kind of uh weighed into our assessment of pep guardiola in 2016-17 so let me let me let me ask you both a question then so based on that let's just say that united have had a let's just say that united had had a slightly better season right now than they're currently having and arsenal were having a slightly better season and actually we were sat sixth with the same amount of points everything the same yeah in terms of how the season has unfolded would you be sitting here and then running this argument that it's unfair to judge pep on the fact that we're sixth because we've had these decisions go against us and and they far outweigh the bad decisions that he's made as a coach well uh, only to an extent because i mean i could throw that back to you mate and say that if we've got the correct decisions 
what you know to go our way against Chelsea and against kind of Liverpool and then Spurs, and we were in firmly in the title race. Would you be mentioning the three at the back against Leicester in this pod? So you know it all kind of evens every, out in that regard. Every manager's made mistakes. Conte started badly and had to change his, and his season came light when he changed the formation at the back. Mm. Yeah, went to the back. So everyone has got tails. Klopp's made numerous mistakes. Mourinho has, of course. So yes, that is finding. That's fine in evaluating a manager for that. I'm just saying, as Stephen said, that they don't always. I mean, it's, I've had a, we've all had a great laugh watching United sitting sixth since I don't know pre-decimalisation times. It's like, <laughs> but I know deep down that <laughs> they're going to be a top four side next year. I know that you know they're undefeated in a long time. They might not. Whether you think they're boring or exciting to watch is neither our concern. It's how many points. It's what they win. So, yeah. But, no, well, I'm not going to go ahead. I'm just saying they're not a terrible side, and I know they're not going anywhere. So we can have a laugh now, but they could have been higher up the table. You know, I'm just saying that it's not all. You know, it's not always the position in the league, but because of things out of your control, and I think we, but managers get judged too much. We don't. Stri- we always look at the result, and the, it's always yeah, the result. I agree with us. And no to be fair, they pay huge amounts of money, so if they're unlucky and get fired on results, then that's life. They'll go and get another job, no doubt, and get spend lots of money. They know that, you know, that's that's how the industry works, and that it's not all down to them. They can only do so much. But uh, just yeah, I agree more with Stephen that I don't think it tells the whole story in judging a manager, and it's why. And I think the bad decisions, and I didn't want to, I didn't want this to be about our bad decisions, but they've fallen very by chance, by pure chance or design. They've fallen at the worst time. So they've fallen at Spurs when we're two one up. We should have had penalty and a red card for Spurs. And they've fallen in Chelsea match and the big matches where you're less likely to overcome bad decisions and still win. Whereas against Hull, or if you get a man sent off at Burnley, you've got the power. You've got the skill yeah. to overcome that and win the game still. Uh, not that that was a bad decision. Uh, so, yeah, I think they've fallen really badly. And that, it, basically, it comes around to, I am quite optimistic. I don't see us as the four hanging on. You know, even we could fall out of the top four and my words look stupid because it, it will really hamper our summer recruitment going forward if we fall out of the top four. But from what I actually see when I just look at performances, I think... We're going to be one of the top teams in the country, and I don't look just at that league position. So, oh, but, I, but Howard, that's why I don't think that United are, you know, guaranteed to be a threat next season. Um, you know, you said that you know they're going to be in the top four next season. Um, if they miss out this time, if they don't win the Europa and they, they finish, you know, sixth think- or fifth, then their summer recruitment is buggered. I mean, truly buggered. They will not. They're going to have to go down to their B list of transfer targets, and. You know, their rivals around him will greatly strengthen this summer. Mm. So I I, I've kind of right copped a bit of flack so. from kind of some United mates because they're seeing how obsessed I am with United not reaching the top four this year. And, you know, that might be justified to an extent, say, just concentrating on, on your own team. But in a way, I am as well because, you know, it's relevant to City how well or how poorly United do because they're direct rivals these days. And I think they could be truly buggered if they miss out on top four. Yeah, it's, it's the same with Liverpool and Chelsea. You know, it all... Let's say so Liverpool, let's say so Liverpool. Yeah, we probably might not go for the same players, but they're still rivals, they're still there. So yeah. what they oh, yeah. do 
it all affects us, yeah. So See, I, I'll I say something controversial. I don't think it's acceptable for City or United with their squads and their wage bills to finish outside of the top four. I think that's, I a, I think that's a sackable offence. I don't think that, you know, I, with the best will in the world and, and, and with all due respect, like Spurs have built a very, very good, a top first 11 and have got a top coach and they're really well coached and... Liverpool are a little bit behind them in their evolution, but they're building a similar thing. But the whole point of having the money that we have and the resources that we have and the wage bill that we have and the access to the players that we have is so that every year is about mounting a title challenge. And I think that when I look at the way in which City have performed this season and the way in which United have performed this season, if that were to repeat itself next season, for me, it would be completely justified if if both of those managers' jobs were under yeah. serious, serious threat. I agree with that. I think it is a results business, and I think that the results... Cheers, yeah. The, res, the, 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 in terms of... You, you, you put on the agenda that, like, you know, how do we judge how do we judge a, a manager in an era of, of such high pressure and the need for instant success? Liverpool, Spurs... Everton, um, these clubs don't have a need for instant success because they've in in the modern in the recent modern times they haven't had that success. So well, you know, it's a very key point I want to discuss. So we might as well do it now. Go for it. Uh, let's what you've just said. Then uh, I tried to argue, well, not argue, debate with someone the other day online. Uh, it didn't go very well. I tried to argue that. I'm very impressed what Spurs have done, so I'm not taking anything away from that. But they've not won anything for ages, mm-hmm. nor do they are they known to have a three hundred million pound, you know, chest of money to spend. So they've been allowed. I'm not taking away. I must make that important. You know, they've been allowed to develop players. They've allowed Rose to develop and Kane to develop and Ali to develop. Would City be a? Could we? really mirror that model could we copy that model i don't think when you expect it to mount challenges and when you know they're going to spend we've got 150 million pounds plus to spend would our fans allow us to bed in players for a few years it, it links to what gary neville tweeted the other night after the youth uh, final first leg that city and chelsea are wasting the youth by not putting them in the Side. See, I don't. But, I, I but see, what, our, what do you think our fans? I think it's very impatient, into the need for instant success is there for City and United and maybe Chelsea that isn't there for Spurs because they're not expected to go in above what was expected absolutely. of them. Yeah. And Liverpool to a slightly lesser extent because they don't spend as much money. So would our fans accept us not, not you know three years of bedding a brilliant crop of youngsters that? But we weren't that successful in those three years. There is a, or what do you expect us to go and spend eighty million pounds on Griezmann instead? There's a proportion of our fan base who think that overall the last five years have been a failure. Yeah, so that should give you, that should answer your question. There's absolutely no way that I've basically see. I don't understand this. Right, it's not our money that we spend. So when I hear supporters say, "Well, I'm entitled." to have different expectations. Look at the money the club spend. It's like, well, yes and no. It's not your money. Your season ticket price isn't going up exponentially. More or less, we pay regular Premier League prices. We pay the sort of prices that West Brom pay or, you know, 
mid-table supporters of mid-table clubs pay to go and see their team play so when i hear our supporters say yeah but we've got higher expectations you know this is a failure this season i sort of go well maybe for the coach it's a failure and maybe for the owners it's a failure but if we win the fa cup it's not a failure for us you know we we our like in terms of expectation you don't have to have the context of you know look where we've come from that that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is that just because your club spends loads of money doesn't automatically mean that you then have to kind of stamp your feet and go because we spent this money i'm embarrassed that we've not won the league this year because it's it's not that simple you know as we're seeing and as we continue to see and it is to I'm losing my, my thread a little bit, but to, to bring it back to managers, I think that, you know, they are, they will be judged on on, on results and, and the more you spend, the higher the expectation will be in terms of bedding players like Danny Rose or players like that. I would argue that that's about scouting rather than giving the players time to develop because Danny Rose isn't a manifestly better player today than he was two years ago. It's just the fact that for the last two years, he's played under a really good coach who's got the best out of him. Yeah, I do think... I think players can grow into teams, young players, that, and I'm sure there's plenty that we wouldn't give a chance to that would be top Premier League players. When you talk about giving a player a chance, what do you mean? I mean, they don't have to... They have to work their way... Well, it's about form, really, isn't it? I don't expect young players to come in and be, you know, bossing the game every week. They'll just grow and grow and grow as footballers. Okay, but, but, but this is my point. By playing in the city team rather than being on loan at, at Preston, to name a totally random side, uh, no disrespect, they'll do it to a higher level. They'll become a better player and be more ingrained at the club and understand, you know, and know our training and how we play and the philosophy and all that. But of course, it takes time, and you're going to have to be able to accept dips in form and the fact that the team won't be as strong as if you'd just gone out and bought Benucci for £50 million instead. So that's a dichotomy, isn't it? What do you, what's the right way to go about things? But what, what, what frustrates me is if we buy in a player and he struggles initially, fans you know, tend to kind of say, OK, give him time. If he doesn't make an impact after a short period of time, you know, a bit of criticism, a bit of negativity comes in. If we bring a player through through the ranks and give him a chance, he gets considerably more time. Yeah. He gets a lot more kind of goodwill. Um, so, as regards to what we're talking about here, and, and, you know, to Danny Rose and Spurs and being given time to develop players, City, for all our money and all our kind of, you know, opportunity to buy kind of a superstar in that position, if you like, City would, you know, fans would give players time to develop as long as oh, yeah. we come through the ranks and aren't bought. So yeah. it's better in that regard. Yeah, they give the player the time, but I still think they'd expect the results of the silverware and the. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. That's but, the, well, that's I mean, the dichotomy I'm, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the player being criticised because we would definitely give players time and we won't get on the backs like we would. So, do you understand? Any, so, so, in a way, don't, isn't it pretty obvious why managers 
yeah. generally just go out and buy the yeah. best player that they can buy. Of course. But no, no, can, can I just make my point? Might not sorry, be there in but, two years. Lads, exactly. well, I'm, I'm not talking about five or six youngsters here. I'm not talking about kind of, you know, um, having half your team as, as kind of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I'm literally talking one or two throughout the course of a season. You know, just kind of, instead of loaning them out, just having them as backup, having them as cover, giving them kind of, you know, five or six games, ten games. Um and that just enhances the kind of connection between fan and club anyway. Uh, and it gives the fans more kind of goodwill to lavish on that team anyway. So everyone benefits. Uh, and the results won't you know, suffer because we're talking about one player who's obviously talented because he would have been given the opportunity anyway uh, without a great deal of talent. So I just don't understand why it doesn't happen more often at big clubs. You One or two homegrown players being more prominent. Do you agree with Gary Neville? Sorry for talking over. Oh, absolutely, I do. Yeah. I, I think it's a valid point. I mean, you know, he, he's picked out City and Chelsea. To be fair, he, he could have widened that, you know, to, to 10 clubs. Um, but yeah, I agree with his basic principle. I, mean, I think, you know, I might put a hypothesis that Chelsea do use it as a fund, to be honest. Mm. Uh, because but a... just, just to kind of finish my point, if I was a manager of, you know, a, a Premier League club, whether it be kind of, you know, a behemoth or struggling against relegation, which has obviously different types of pressure, I would actually view bringing through a youngster almost as a tactical move, you know, kind of something that, you know, would benefit. Um, so I, I never see how people are so down on it all the time and just see the negativity surrounding it. I actually think overall it's actually a wise move to have one or two. Like I said at the top, you know, I'm not talking about mainstays of a team. I'm talking about, you know, cover, but giving them games, giving them opportunities. I think they will get more, though, because I think the real talented crop are reaching that age now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I so think, like, like two years ago, I don't think there was really a raft of players that we were ignoring that could have broken into the first team. But the same but, things were being said two years ago that are being said now about the fact that City have got this big shiny academy, but they don't yeah. use any of the players. And my fe- my feeling on, on, and this is linked to managers and pressure and all that sort of stuff, and how do you judge a manager? It's like, look, it's very easy for Gary Neville to sit on the sidelines and say uh, City and Chelsea don't have the courage to use the youth players that they've got. I'd like to ask Gary Neville, whilst he was manager at Valencia, how much courage he had when results weren't going his way. Because I think it's really easy for anybody from the outside to go, you know what? Pellegrini's an idiot. What was he doing playing, you know, Zabaleta away at Stoke when his legs have gone, when he could have played Maffeo? And I was one of those guys, yeah, who, who, who in the heat of the moment was making that argument of what is he doing? If you're a manager, you've got two choices in that situation. If you stick that kid in and he fails, then he's failed and it destroys his confidence and it makes you look a chump in front of the senior player. And the knock-on effect is that that senior player has less respect for you because he's just kind of randomly been taken out of the side and a kid's been put in there. Um, so I don't think that... It's not simple. Like I don't think that it's as simple as... As much as I would love it to be just as simple as, come on, like Zabba's 35 and Sanya's 35 and let's just play Maffeo and give him a chance. It's not. It's just not as simple as that because there is a connection to the fact that as much as it's about developing players, it's also about getting the result on the day and it's 
Simply put, and I've seen young players be put into a Premier League game and just look way out of their depth. Oh, and yeah, we all have. So, but, yeah, that, that can seem to be individual rather than the basic principle, though. So, okay, but so what I... So then let's extend it then. Let's, let's speak about individuals in the sense of my feeling whenever people criticise the way that City use their academy is this. When we develop a player... Yeah, who we let go of because we think he's not good enough and he goes somewhere else and he does what Michael Keane is doing and then we are put in a situation where we might have to buy him back or like United had to do with Pogba then come and talk to me and I'll go yeah fair enough that was a serious error in judgement but the reality is that so far all of the youngsters and I'll go all the way back to Ronnie Lopez yeah, all of the youngsters or Brandon Barker or... Um, Denea, the loads, loads of them, yeah? There's plenty and plenty of, of, of people who at each step of the way have said, he's good enough, it's a disgrace that City didn't give him a chance. Except if they were good enough right now, they'd be doing it somewhere else, and they're not. No, I, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. I, I'm just talking about, you know, if you you played kind of Denea, or, well, not, not so much Denea, if you played kind of Barker, for example, at times, um, you know, it's a local kid, that it rouses a crowd, it... it it just brings a connection between fan and, and club and team at that moment. Um, and it's, like I said before, there's a lot of goodwill around then and you're really kind of urging the kid to do well. It's it's almost a, a separate aspect to kind of supporting your team. You're kind of watching his performance saying, go on, lad, you know, oh, no, do I well. Know. We all agree. I mean, I'm, I, I, emotionally, I'm completely invested in the point that you're making. Yeah. I, I love it, but I'm... The, but from uh, that comes benefits. From that, you know, comes benefits. It does, um, it does well. And I yeah. think they, we're talking about risk and reward here. And I think that this is where, in the Premier League, where the margins are so damn fine, yeah, I understand why a lot of managers, particularly at top clubs, just go, it's not worth the risk for me. The questions that you then have to answer are, they're, they're exponentially bigger if a young kid has a poor game, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the manager turnover as well is just so huge that, I mean, you know, take Pellegrini, he knew he was in his last year. Yeah, exactly. So he's not going to take risks with you. Oh, no, in that instance, I agree, yeah. I mean, he could do if he wants, you know, if that's how his mentality was, I'm going to just bench kids, but he's probably more, in, he's less likely to leave big names out because he knew he was going. The turnover is ridiculous. I mean, well, it's a lot worse down the leagues, I think. Do you think, think it's? Half, about, do you think, think half the managers don't, you know, go every season at least? But I would just say that I went on Tuesday to the final, and this is a different class to me. It wasn't the brilliant performance, you know? I don't Sancho didn't have his best game, but I've seen them play. Better, this, this, but I agree. This is a yeah. This is a different class from say three or four years Complete, ago, I and I think agree. in two years, if we're still having this discussion, then yeah, yeah there's, there's serious criticisms because I don't see these sort of players being swept up by David Moyes in a relegation battle. I think they'd be, you know, a bit higher up than that. Yeah. So which was a dig at, which was a dig at United players, by the way, not Danea. So <laughs> just for the record. Yeah. I got it. Listen, I, I wanna ask, do you think that this the the cliche that, you know, stability is so important is actually important? Yeah. I mean Yeah, it is. It just like lets you build, doesn't it? And I think City are actually trying to build they're not building they're building Pep's philosophy, but they're doing it for way after him. So, Who are the best-run clubs in the Premier League, in your opinion? Best-run? Yes. 
a lot of them, I'd say, are low, lower down the league. Yeah, because... Spurs are very well run. So, 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 so just run me through the 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 clubs that you think are well run, and and try and identify which ones have got managerial stability and which ones actually have not had managerial stability. Because I would argue that in general, over the last five years, the clubs who have been the quote unquote best run would probably be clubs like Southampton or Swansea. Yeah. Or West yeah. Brom, Middlesbrough. Yeah, it's not just about managerial stability. It's about, I was saying managerial stability specifically about bringing youth through, not which is a different thing to. I'm talking about stability of the club. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, about the clubs you mentioned there, they all tend to bring in a manager who is quite similar in philosophy as yeah, his exactly. predecessor. But so, the, the, so the point that I'm trying to make is that so then the the paramount thing. It's not managerial stability. It's just joined up thinking. Yeah, like, yeah. If you've got joined up thinking higher up within a club, then it stands to reason that you won't go, you know, one extreme. So you, you see what I mean? You won't constantly yeah. be going from one extreme to the other. Like, for example, Palace do, where they've gone from Pardew to Allardyce. Or Newcastle have done often, where they go from one type of manager to another type of manager. And it's constantly like, you know, from one extreme to the other. And then you look at a club like Swansea up until this season or like Southampton and they seem pretty calm because they seem to have a quote-unquote type of manager that they want and they know they believe in their overarching way of doing things and they sort of stick to it and that allows them to not worry about managerial stability and yet when I even now People still talk about managerial stability as if that's the, you know, that's what you need. If you want to be successful, you need first and foremost, you need managerial stability. Well, no. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just, for me, that's nonsense. No, well, no, I, I agree with that. Thing. It's, you look yeah, at United you... and their struggles kind of under Ferguson. Um, and, you know, that, that's always used as the kind of example, isn't it? You know, they, they stayed with Ferguson and look what it produced. That's just such a one-off example. You may as well kind of refer to Watford in the last kind of two years and the success they've had. Exactly. That's well, another club. Try, you know, try, I, I defy anyone to make sense of Watford in the last 24 months. Mm. I mean, just one manager after another, you know, huge squads. And it makes no sense whatsoever. It defies all logic. So there is no rhyme or reason Chelsea to any of it. Chelsea a manager and won the European Cup. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the prime example of just not just deciding to change constantly. Yeah. See, uh, I think the I think in the in the age. Well, they have a style. They still have a style, don't they? And in the same way, they play style and identity. Chelsea do. Yeah. Oh, Chelsea, do yeah. Southampton, and I think that's yeah. In a way, that's more important. That's what we're trying to build now, aren't we? Playing style, a, a philosophy. Don't really like that word, but you know that whoever comes after Pep, whoever's playing at under fourteen level, they're all doing the same thing. Yeah. So. See, we're trying I, the same thing, yeah. I, I think that we're we're kind of we we live in this age where also I think that this idea of the super coach and you know that that kind of the the cult of personality around guys like Mourinho or, or Guardiola, I think I think it's overstated. Like going back to what the the question that you asked at the very start of this podcast, it's like you know what what 
what separates Mancini, you know, what, what it is, what is the fine line that divides Mancini being a hero and a genius and being a failure at Manchester City? It's 93-20. You, you see what I mean? So it's like, in that sense, like we, you can to some extent begin to overstate the importance of the manager. You've got to have the right manager and you've got to have a good manager. But if you have the right manager and, he, and, and you have a good manager, then he will say that I don't have to do a lot with the players because, you know, you coach them, you tell them what you want them to do. And in I've heard loads of managers say it, and I think it's it's probably true that in this day and age with the, the kind of the physical um, fitness of players and the technical ability of players at the top level, the, the hardest job is, is actually the mental aspects of it. It's being a shrink. It's knowing how to get the best out of every player individually to then get the best out of the collective, which, you know, is different for me from the what's kind of advertised, which is like, you know, Mourinho tactical masterclass, Guardiola tactical mm. masterclass, Simeone tactical masterclass. It's like... Are these things really tactical masterclasses? I, I, well, you know what? I agree with that. But what completely contradictory to that is the further down you go in a league. Because if a manager saves a club from relegation, they get lauded with praise for being, you know, for the mental side of it, for kind of changing around the thinking of the players and the, and the spirit. It's always about the spirit if you, if you avoid relegation. Whereas, you know, I'm hardly a fan of Stam Allardyce, but who's to say he hasn't, you know, performed a tactical masterclass of his own there at Palace. It's not like he's just gone in and just kind of kicked them all up the arse and said, right, you're going to perform, you know, 100% every week, son. Um, you know, he's changed things around there tactically and he doesn't get any credit for that. Not because it's Sam Allardyce, but because it's a club what has come out from the bottom three and is now relatively safe from relegation. And that's, that's our thinking. If it's near the bottom, it's all about spirit. If it's near the top, it's all about tactics. Mm. Do you, that's that's a really fair point. To 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 extend that, do you think that um, managers lower down the league actually have a much harder job and have to be tactically far more astute than Mourinho, Guardiola, Conte have to be? Because I I, I kind of think they do. Because ultimately, if you're Mourinho or you're Conte or or you're Guardiola or even Pochettino now, you know that the overwhelmingly vast majority of games that you play, you've got eleven players who are better than the eleven players on the opposition side. So even if your tactics go a bit tits up, you, you nine times out of ten you'll win the game just through because of the fact that you've got better players. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that point, but opposing that point, which I equally feel kind of is uh, you know agreeable, really, is if you're kind of you know Hull City, if you're silver at Hull City and you go to kind of the Etihad, you basically get your banks in order, don't you? You've got your banks there, and that's the same kind of style as what you'll then employ two weeks later at Stamford Bridge. So it's it's you know it's kind of easier, not the right word easier, but it's kind of um, more straightforward to be a coach with limited players because you will tend to have a lot of games away from home or at home to the big clubs where you'll play the same kind of style, the same kind of tactics, and that'll be ingrained in the players. Yeah. Whereas you know I'm someone like Pep, he's he's got a different challenge every week. You know he's got basically a find a way to break through these banks. I know. I'm, where, I am speaking. Where teams are often judged, aren't they, by their record against? Say teams at the top are judged by their record against the other top teams. It can make a big difference in the title race because you're expected to win against all the the lower down the league teams. Yeah. Whereas I think in a relegation fight, it's just the opposite. 
the key games are often against your relegation candidates. So you've got similar battles, I think, in in a, a lot of the occasions. You're not expected to win at Chelsea or whatnot. It's the points you pick up against those around you that makes a difference. Uh, can, I, can I ask you two, right, if you were manager for, for a club for a day, apart from City, obviously, <laughs> but, but let's say, I don't know, someone pretty decent like Everton or Southampton or someone like, you know, Hull or kind of Swansea or Sunderland, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to set up all these banks and kind of, you know, away, kind of old, have, a, have 90 minutes at Old Trafford? Or would you like a home game against an inferior rival and see if you can kind of break through them and, and you know, do well? Which would you prefer to kind of manage on that one day? I'd rather be the Hull manager. Yeah, I think I would. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, and yeah, just kind of the organisation, and although it does entail a hell of a lot of nervous looking at the watch, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> you girl. see them go Early through. Girl, and I want like... to change my mind, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I I agree with you both. I got to be honest. I think I'd enjoy well, that. I think it would be good if, and ninety-three twenty pod fifty-seven in a year's time, uh, we revisit some of the stuff we've said to see if if we're still judging him on results, if any youth have come through and where we are. But uh, I think it's time we moved on, if that's okay. To part two, and everyone's favourite discussion topic this week, said, slightly sarcastically, player and manager awards. Uh, the team of the year has just been announced, isn't it? I think, presume it's the PFA team of the year. No City players in it, which won't really surprise us. Uh, no senior players nominated for the PFA player of the year. Sane has got onto the young player of the year list, but not Sterling. Uh, I personally couldn't care less about (laughs) (laughs) Put my cards on the table. I mean, I would like to see our players get some acknowledgement, but now's probably not the best time for that to happen anyway. Uh, It's, you know, what's happened in the past. I don't know if the players, how much they care. They are compiled very early in the season. I think forms to set Stan Collymore and it really was an accident I stumbled onto one of his articles the other day on the the website uh, for which I apologise and he actually got said something almost sensible that in this day of technology why can't they send slips you know why can't they decide this at the end of the the year with a simple email but they send slips out in February uh, and so we already know winners of awards when we've got the most important part of the season still to come Uh, what do you think about them? Do you care? Stay or start with you. Do you care? Are they a farce? Or are we just going over the top about... Are we all just paranoid about our players not getting picked every year? And in fact, they're all pretty fair, to be honest. Um, I care about as much as the players who vote, which is not very little. Um, you know, there's that Martin Keown anecdote of when he was kind of the rep at Arsenal and it was his job to hand out the forms and many of the players couldn't be asked even filling in the forms so he would just you know fill in a player who has impressed when played against him that season just put put that guy's name down and sign it for his teammate so I'm sure that still goes on um, it's London centric it's always about the capital if it's not about the capital then it'll just be a splattering of Liverpool or United players no one else gets a look in um, to such an extent, I'm quite pleased that Lukaku has, was announced today in the team of the year. Um, you know, finally, Everton player, that'll do me, because it just yeah. doesn't affect anyone apart from the two red kind of giants in the northwest and London. And that's always been the case. Um, so, yeah, City have been 
greatly overlooked in recent years, disrespected. Um, but because I don't have much respect for, for that in itself anyway, then I don't really take great offence. Yeah. What about you, Asa? Yeah, okay, so I, I don't really care about them. I don't, <laughs> But I don't really care about them for, for a reason. I don't really care about them because they're a farce. They're a farce because we... They have a pro. The either the the people who are voting for these awards clearly have a problem with the players who play for Manchester City, because we can go back to. Shall I start, Howard? Because I I don't know if I'll the start. Stats. I mean the stats. Pack. Yeah. So, so I let, spent eighteen hours. Let's let's be, let's begin with this one. <laughs> let's begin with this one, shall we? Right. In the last five years, how many managers have won the Premier League but not won? The Manager of the Year award. Two. What year? Who were the, who were the title winners in those two years? Um, I wonder. Manchester City. Right. Okay. So let's talk about both of those. Let we'll go backwards. Firstly, let's talk about Manuel Pellegrini. Manuel Pellegrini wins the Premier League in his first season in the Premier League with a team that breaks the record. For, but did it did it break the Premier League record or City's record for the most goals scored? It broke in all. It broke all the scoring records. Okay, so we break all the scoring records. Right. And remind me, who won Manager of the Season that season? Alan Pardew. For what? Oh. Finishing fifth for Newcastle. Oh. No, that was that was Mancini one. Oh, right. This okay. Is, this is Tony Pulis. This is, Tony this is much worse. Pulis, 41 points behind City. For finishing ninth with Stoke. What? And an example, an example of a manager taking over, you know, a team near the relegation zone, winning a few games, gets manager of the year. Uh, Rogers won the LMA award as well. Right. Okay. Is, is that the other managers voting? Yeah. I so, so my thing is that, and I, and then we'll go to the Mancini one, where obviously Pardew's won it. I just think that in isolation, and we've not even got to Aguero and Walker yet. In isolation, any of those two decisions, <laughs> right? make the whole thing a farce because not because not because of the decisions that are made just in those years but because what goes on around it so effectively yeah. what you're saying is that every year standard practice the manager who wins the premier league wins the manager of the year award except for the years when man city win the league in those years suddenly the criteria becomes different i mean how could how could anybody care? How could the manager care? How could the club care? How could the players at the club care? How could anybody care about these things when quite clearly they're that much of a farce? I agree. Yeah. I, there's only been two other occasions when a title-winning manager hasn't won. Um, I can't recall one, but the other was Ed George Dunn. Burley. Um, and that was an exceptional season for Ipswich Town. Yeah. Um, and so you think, you know, I, I think Ferguson had won it, you know, the two previous years and United had won the league again. So it was, you know, it was one of those situations where you, you can see the logic in that. In this instance, under two instances we're talking about, there is no logic. The implication no logic. for me is that those things aren't achievements for those managers. And I find that to be disgraceful because for mm. different reasons... Both of those title wins were enormous achievements. I mean, the, the in a way, right? The, again, like if you want to talk about like bogging out. In a way, the thing that bugs me the most is like in both of those title wins, we came from behind. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? Like we've 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 that's an achievement. How many oh. teams have been? Well, how many? Or to, or to, 
To put it the other way, the other team blew it. Is <laughs> so, yeah. how it was generally uh, described. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, again, again, you know, the, the, even the narrative aside, the, the the fact that those managers have achieved those things and not been given those awards. So then let's let's talk about let's talk about Kyle Walker and Sergio Aguero, shall we? So that's yeah. that's that's in the eleven twelve season, unless I'm unless I'm mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So in in eleven yeah. twelve. When Aguero scores twenty-three Premier League goals, yeah, yeah, and City win the league, the young player of the year goes to <laughs> Kyle Walker, and the player of the year goes to Robin Van Persie. I mean, per- Percy got thirty goals, didn't he? Uh, it's it's a Walker one, mate, isn't it? it, it that just yeah, stands it, out as a, as a bizarre. But then again, like I said from the off, it, it's London centric these awards. They always have been. Um, so if you do well for for Tottenham, just this beloved club for some reason in, within football circles, then you're going to do well in this instance. It is a farce, exactly as you said. It's an absolute travesty. And so, fan Percy, let's say, well, top winner, top goal scorer. Goal scorers are lauded more than defenders. Mm. So it's it's very people are, or other players are yeah, but when that vote they go off stats. But like, be, you think players would go off their recollection of playing against these players? They won't look at stats. Yeah, because it's other players voting. Yeah. Uh, but so Van Persie's top scorer eleven twelve. He gets the award. Uh, Luis Suarez gets the award when we won the uh, the league, which fair enough because he was phenomenal, and yet. Aguero the season after is the top scorer in the league, uh, five ahead of second place, but Hazard gets it. Uh, but then Kane did miss out on Mares the next year as well. So, so they yeah, seem to have general rules that kind of fall apart when City are involved. Uh, and Bale won the award when Tevez was joint top scorer in 2010-11. The season and even, even Scott, Park, Scott Parker's won the Writers' Award. Yeah, it's like, I remember. <laughs> The, the, and Ashley Young's that, won the Young Player of the Year award. But. The season that Torre scores twenty is the season that we um, that we win the league with with Pellegrini. Does he yeah. even get nominated? Yes, he did. Yeah. So he, he at least Andy got... was in the team of the year. So okay, because uh, he, he was but, yeah, the standout but, player in the league that season. So along with Suarez, well, Suarez. I mean Suarez. The, both of them were the two standout players for me. Yeah. So. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not really gonna, you know. No, I mean, I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge Suarez winning I, winning the award that year for me. Yeah, there's a moral argument, obviously, that that you know, a racist cannibal should not be nominated. <laughs> but <laughs> but if you're going off performance alone, then <laughs> okay. Then, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know of any racist cannibal. I'm just making a hypothetical argument here. That Did you say it, allegedly then, Howard? <laughs> No, no. Allegedly, as, well, as if that's going to make any difference to any <laughs> random Liverpool supporter that's decided to listen to this podcast <laughs> and gone, what did he just say? I'm talking hypothetically. If a racist cannibal, and the, there isn't one, was nominated, yeah, you could say there's a moral argument they shouldn't win. But <laughs> if that racist cannibal was yeah, one of the best players, then it's hard to argue against it, isn't it? That's mm. all I'm saying. <laughs> Allegedly, you could say about the same about Robin Van Persie. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Allegedly. we should move on then. <laughs> but anyway, moving back. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's move forward. Let's back to Kyle Walker, because what you're looking at for young player of the year and player of the year, what you're looking at are players who have been exceptional on another planet. So, for example, Suarez beating Torre, no problem with that. 
Really genuinely no problem with that because Suarez was phenomenal that year, as was Yaya. It happened to go to Suarez. When Kyle Walker gets it ahead of Sergio Aguero, what the hell is that about? I remember that season. I remember Walker getting a lot of praise. He's a right back who played consistently well. Aguero scored, what was it, 23 goals Mm. in our first title in, what, 44 years? Yeah, but of course, not the voting when we haven't won the title. Yeah, that's true. true. And he's not done... And we've probably not even beaten Norwich 6-1 or gone on that run. That's the ridiculousness mm. of it. You might as well just write some names down in September. You know, who's had the best start? It's like, it should be done after the season. Yeah, I, I can see the logic in doing it before the yeah, season. Even if they did it after the season, do you really think that anybody would be voting for City players? Because... No, I don't think it'd be a lot different. Now. We're just not a popular club, lads. We're just not. It's I've wrote about this several times, and it just comes down to that, you know? Um, sometimes, you know, a line is crossed, and we encounter kind of bias and injustice and all the rest of it in the media and beyond, and they should be railed against. In this instance, as... I think we've summed it up correctly by calling it a farce because that's what it is. It's not something that really aggrieves and you think this is really not right. You just think it's ridiculous, you know, it, and it, but it stems from us just not being a popular football club. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go along with that. But I, I also, I don't care. Like, as I say, for me, as I said at the start, for me, these those awards and those things, I, why, why should I care? Do you know what I mean? I, I, the players you talk, care. Do the players care? Yeah, outside Yaya Torre, who I think cares about stuff like this, doesn't he? Um, they probably see it as a pain in the arse having to go down to London yeah, and get their well, awards, to be I, honest. I mean, yeah. Look, I think... I'd, it depends upon the player. I don't think foreign players could care less. I don't think that David Silva sits at home and goes, you know, the, I've never been nominated in a PFA team, team of the year. You know, yeah. I don't think he worries about that. Maybe for Sterling. Maybe Sterling will look at that list and he'll go, Really? Sane yeah, and me. Agreed, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, that, but again, that's like, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a footballing expert to have watched both of their seasons to know that Sterling has had a far better season than Sane has had, simply because he's been consistently playing at this level all season, whereas Sane only really came into his own after the turn of the year. So yeah. on, the, on that basis alone, Sterling should be on that list ahead of Sane. So why isn't Sterling on that list? What what recency bias really, isn't it? It's what know. recency bias of just what what's just happened. Yeah, like yeah. Best best films ever. There'll always be recent films because yeah. okay, that's all we remember. But I if mean, you were Pep, recency hope... bias normally goes beyond two months. So <laughs> I don't know. Do you think even players think Sterling's having a bad game? You know, opposition players think, oh, he's not all that when he's just set up two goals. It's as though it's yeah, no, not when the left back's lying there on his arse. You know, I mean. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the number of defenders that have been left for dead by Sterling this season, the, 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 yeah. the other players in the league know how good he is now. There's no question about that, and they will have known for a few years anyway. But as so. does Pep as well, and you'd like to think that Pep, you know, should he get an inclination that Raheem is, is at all bothered about this? I mean, literally, if it's on his radar even, you would hope that Pep would have a word and say, right, Sonny's in there, he's representing the two of you. You know, it's because of the, the kind of contribution of both of you this season that we have one nomination. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 honestly, I'd be really surprised if any player is really that bothered about these types of, you know, what do you think Sterling would rather do, lift the FA Cup or be nominated in that team of the year? Yeah, the, the it is indicative, though, of, like I say, how, how unpopular we are, and we should always be vigilant on kind of, you know, there is a line, 
and it is crossed several times um you know in the media and beyond so you know this very much not that we needed proof um but it's just another example of just how we are treated differently to other clubs yeah i would absolutely go along with that and i I, for me i guess the i keep saying it but the players thing I'm, I'm, I'm almost like I'm really not that bothered. And the reason I'm not that bothered is because what they did to Mancini and Pellegrini when those two men won the league, it's just like, in that case, you can fuck off, really. Your whole thing lacks credibility, and I ain't interested. Not no. even in the slightest. That's kind that's of the not, way that I look at it. Yeah, that's not a player's decision, obviously. The manager's award, I think, is done by a panel. But there's there's loads of different awards. Isn't there? The football journalists get yeah. awards. But they do tend to mirror quite a lot. Uh, the Players Award uh, the Young Player Award seems to go to British players quite a lot, 7 out of the last 8 being British, 6 are English so it's kind of as if there's this ingrained thing that we must you know, reward a young English player the most... no, I, can't, I can't be good Jally getting it this year so no. No. If you're English and you play for Spurs, basically as long as you make 30 appearances that season across all competitions, <laughs> you're going to be nominated for a young player or player of the year That's, that's just true, it's, it's not even an exaggeration, it's true I mean, isn't it Aguero really was nominated for young and senior which is ridiculous as well I think so has Kane been nominated for both this year How old is Harry Kane man? I feel like he's 30 years old you know? I mean, He's doing my head 23 year olds can get said to me now. the other day, he's like 22-20 I was like, how is that even possible? The he guy was that to and so. Young player of the year should be 21 and under, surely. Yeah, but what's the age limit? It's 23, isn't it? I think 23. it's 23, but you shouldn't be in both. If you're in the senior no. one, then just stay in the senior. Aguero was in both once yet and didn't get in the team of the year. So, mm. so I don't know if it's voted differently, but uh, just for the record, we when Mancini's title win, we've got four players in the team of the year. So do you want to... Uh, Oh, you've seen the stats, so I can't even do a quiz for you, can I? Yeah, <laughs> Heart, com- Heart Company, Torre and Silver. Uh, so Silver did get it in once. That was his one time. Zabaleta got in the team of the year the year after, 2012 That's bizarre, though, Howard, isn't it? Silver once in the team of the year in seven yeah, years. Yeah, but he's consistently... But I don't know, I'm not sure. 2013-14, Company and Torre got in. Uh and that's it. No one since. So De Bruyne's missed out this year. Top assister in the Premier League. But yeah, we have discussed. So Hart, um, Hart, Hart, Hart actually was in it as well for in 2009-10 for. So Hart's been in it. Birmingham City. No, he's been in it twice. Twice. Okay. One for us. One for when he was on loan at Birmingham in 2009-10. Uh, Torre's been in it twice. Yeah, for the record, by the way, I said Tony Pulis been in it twice. It was Palace. Uh, sorry, just for the record, I said Pulis got it when he was at Stoke earlier, but he was he was at yeah, Palace. Yeah. I just checked it out now, and the other occasion, the fourth occasion, that a non-title league winning manager has won, it was uh, good old Ari Redknapp. Ari Redknapp, of course. Of course. They get him to fourth? Or? Yeah, they got to fourth, yeah. yeah. It might have been when they beat us to fourth, or was it? Yeah, because yeah. the only time they, they qualified for the Champions League was under Redknapp, was at our expense that season. Mm. Um well, yeah, fair. I mean, I'm not sure about Silver. I don't get the angst, to be honest. You can't say, you can say he's consistently the best player over five years, but that's a different argument to breaking down individual years because you can be the best, in a hyper, uh, going hypothetical again, you can be the best player of, you know, on average over five years in the Premier League, 
but still be like the sixth best in any particular year in theory. Yeah, but I mean, I'll go along with that. But what kind of confounds me about Silva only being nominated once or making the team of the year once is if we think Silva's good, you can times that by a thousand as regards to how fellow professional footballers think think of him. So, you know, you would expect him to be in there every season. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that I, I completely agree with that. I think I think it is confounding. I agree with Howard. I, I think that you know it's complicated with with somebody like Silva, who who's kind of consistently maybe not just the assist, but the assist for the assist and things like that. Where maybe he's mm. doing things that aren't getting him the headlines that Hazard gets, for example. But his fellow professionals and managers know how good he is. So and, and these things are voted for and nominated and all that stuff by managers and by fellow professionals so so yeah no it is and there's a likability because it also you know ultimately it comes down to a popularity contest oh, this now, should be the same for Aguero as well because the bottom line is that for one of the things when Aguero moved to City was the story for the first two or three years at least was very much like how long before he agitates for a move to Real Madrid do you know what mm. I mean? Like it was like it's definitely coming. The bid is coming. He'll become unsettled. And the thing with Silva and with with Aguero is that they have proven to be absolute model professionals. So as well as being at the very top of their positions, yeah, and consistently they've been in the top two or top three in their position in the time that they've been. At City, they've also been model professionals off the pitch yeah. as well, yeah. and have been not a single moment's hassle for the manager. And all this, I mean, you know, if you're going to talk about how you decide like the worth of a player, you add all of those things in, man. And it's just, I, I, I would with Silver again. I'm like, I'm, I'm with you, Steve. That I, I think he, he, sh- he should. He should have been given it one year just for the fact that he's been so good for so many years. Like, for example, yeah, yeah. I thought this year maybe he'd get nominated and maybe there was that kind of moment of going, we've got to give it David Silva this year because he's been here for so long and he's been so good at City and they've won so much while he's been there. Because that's Like Martin Scorsese winning the Oscar for The Departed. Not his yeah. best film, yeah, but, you know, he's been overlooked so many times in the past. Exactly, exactly. Good shout, mate. But it's a, it's a YouTube real award thing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, if you, yeah. you know, if you've got the stats and if Pulis can win it for services <laughs> to his club shop, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's it's no a popularity contest, which confounds me further because you know you look at David Silva, you can clearly see he's kind of a quietly spoken, decent guy. You look at Eden Hazard, you know he's a twat. You just know <laughs> he's a twat. Yeah, but so who, if you're playing so against these players every week, you yeah. know. Who, so yeah, but there's always been four, yeah. Who would you put in instead? I don't know if you've seen the team of the year, but uh, obviously Mane's been a huge boost. Yeah, I, I didn't disagree with any of this year, to be honest. Or yeah, but then how could... does Mane get in it, but Sterling doesn't get in it? What's that about? Mm. What, what, what does that mean? I would, that, I would have mm, gone for myself. What does it mean? Big, I don't know. I don't have a big problem with Mane being in there. He, he's kind of He's been the difference for Liverpool. He's the only Liverpool player in there. Um, I would have gone for Sterling, of course, but I don't have a big problem with with Marley over Sterling, but it's just the fact that it, the, the thing for me with, with like in theory, okay, fine, maybe Mane just shades it, but then you know Sterling's done it in the Champions League this season as well as doing it in the Premier League. So for me, he's done it at a higher level, just as consistently over the course of the season. 
and he didn't have to go for the he didn't disappear for six weeks for a for an international yeah. tournament either. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like it, for, for and me, he's not out injured for the rest of it. I mean, yeah. even Mane's been out. <laughs> Mane's season effectively. Well, I don't know how long he's had back. Well, he's missed what six weeks for the Africa Cup of Nations, and he'll miss another seven eight weeks now, won't he? Yeah. So it's just so, there's a there's yeah, a lack of there's a lack of fairness within within all this. Hey, Howard, can we push this forward? Because I really want to just talk very briefly about that thing about tickets to Wembley. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll just do a dramatic sigh first. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of any City fan on social media this week will know that uh, papers have been running stories about struggling to sell our tickets. The some call it the ultimate embarrassment. So <laughs> just remember, if Arsenal turn us over 8-0, the true embarrassment of the day will be 300 empty seats on the top tier, not the results. So just keep that in mind. Mm. But you expect no better from the Sun and the Daily Mail, not really. Mike McKeegan... Mike, what is it, Mike Keegan, that used to be at the MEN? Yeah, it was Mike Keegan. They don't think. And he did put reasons in the article, but at the end of the day, there's no reason for the article. But that's modern life in it, where everything's news. Uh, I've bang, I've said it so many I'm so tedious to me having to argue with people online about this and the reasons and why, you know, why it even matters. But so I'm probably going to pass on another rant because I'll bore everyone. But Asan. If either you two want to say something about this coverage this week, or well, not what so. I want to say is not really. It's about that those articles, but it's yeah. it's a wider point. And my wider point is, I find it really weird <laughs> how the media seem to delight in pointing out that working class supporter bases can't fill stadiums week in and week out. So whether it's empty seats at the Etihad or it's City not selling their allocation at Wembley, or it's Everton not not selling out a game, or it's Newcastle not selling out a game. My thing is like, it's bad enough that supporters do it. It's bad enough that you know you kind of get supporters going with the empty seats thing without kind of taking taking the context and the reality into account. And everybody complains from their own point of view. So United fans will happily you know, take the piss out of City for empty seats whilst at the same time protesting against their own owners because ticket prices are pricing them out of going to games. So, but the media picking up on this this sort of narrative thread and, and picking at supporters, for me, it, I just, I don't, I don't understand it because we're your bread and butter. For the media, we're, we are the media's bread and butter. If we stop clicking your links, you've not got jobs, lads. It's that simple. So, I feel as though we're maybe we're not reaching that, but eventually we're going to reach a tipping point where supporters are just going to go, well, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? We 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 won't have anything to do with your articles, and we'll stop following you on Twitter, and we'll stop clicking on all your links, and you know we'll see how your profession does without us, the audience. Because I feel as though there's a particularly in these types of articles, I feel as though there's a um, there's a class thing going on. There's like you know. I don't want to yeah. say that all football journalists are like Oxbridge educated snobs, but there's definitely a class thing going on where they can't seem to, you know, get their head around the idea that it might be asking a lot for, you know, asking 40,000 people from North and South Manchester to go to London twice to go to Wembley over four weeks. That's, you know, that's asking a lot. 
to and then to ask to do that on top of all of the away games and the, and the regular home games over the course of the season and all the Champions League games that the clubs expect you to go to and I mean it's just yeah it's it, yeah it's all happening the coverage but I expect no better on me but the question the point is all United fans and Liverpool fans and maybe Arsenal fans are clicking that link aren't they as soon as that headline appears City struggling to sell out oh they'll be straight on there yeah I imagine it got significant hits both of those articles probably that's, that's the key isn't it yeah, but it's like even but just do a transfer story. And if, if you're desperate for clicks, do a transfer. Well, they are story. desperate. Yeah, there's nothing they won't cover. But this is the yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, I got my numbers mixed up last night on Twitter, but I think this is our ninth. I might have got you on ninth uh, Wembley visit since 2011. Since whatever takeover. Uh, yeah, well, since in, since 2011, really, isn't it? So, mm. but, uh, it's a about our 11th 12th I can't remember what I said now semi-final of some sort you know because of all those League Cup semi-finals we've been in uh, so yeah it's I mean they're not badly priced the tickets for the semi-final it's 30 to 60 pounds but it's still 100 pounds with your rail ticket there's a marathon on just for good measure uh, and the day is 200 quid basically and the, and the reality that's is that's if you don't have children so yeah and, and also Howard I'll say it again the reality is that a lot of people will be looking at that and they'll be going, well, I can't afford to go at the final and the semi-final. And do I want to, you know, you know, yeah. if, I, if I have the choice between going to one or the other, a lot of people are going, I prefer to go to the final. So, I mean, but yeah. that's just, that's a reality. Like, you have to, if you're going to host semi-finals in London at Wembley Stadium and you expect two northern clubs and their supporter bases to pay for the trains and all the rest of it, you have to accept the fact that maybe you're not going to sell out the semi-final. And it's, uh, again, like the the it it really, really, really sticks in my throat, and it really bugs me that I feel like this is a class thing. This is about people who are out of touch with the reality of the demographic of the average football, uh, the average Man City supporter. Yeah, the I, average. Never, yeah, you're talking about clubs where, and it's again. I want to. Uh, I said at the beginning, and I think it's important to say this: that this applies to all clubs because the media don't just go after City; they do go after other clubs for having empty seats. And it is generally working class. It's clubs that have got working class supporter bases from the north of England. Do they go after? And I personally think it's a really, really shit and cheap thing to do. And I'm surprised that. I mean, I've. I know the Anfield rap have, have, have done things on it in the past as well, where they've sort of gone, you know, it doesn't matter who they're going after. It's a piss take that you're effectively taking the piss out of supporters for not being able to pay Premier League prices week in and week out. Um, so it isn't just a city-centric thing. It's about supporters as a whole, supporter bases being respected by the media, particularly over financial things like this. That's my run over, by the way. Well, the bottom line is we're paying off a £900 million stadium. And so they've devalued the FA Cup to help pay that off. I'll but never get tired of going to Wembley, but let's be honest, if it was at Villa Park, the the uh, further for it would be greater. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, it's the excitement would be greater. And really, the, the, the FA park, should acknowledge it. James's Park. The or, FA should just say, you know, we, we're doing this because we need the money and we accept the fact that it's a, 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 a hassle for, for supporters from, from the north of England and we apologise, but to pay for the new Wembley, we have to do things like this. Then at least there's an acknowledgement. 
I think that the, the issue for me is that there's absolutely, or there seems to be very little acknowledgement of what it costs for supporters from other parts of the country to come to Wembley for, for, for semi-finals. And at the same time, it feels like it's okay to then take the piss because of your, oh my God, of your allocation of 33,000, you've only sold 31,000. That's what, what was it that, that, that the Sun called it? What have the Sun called it? Remind me, Howard. Ultimate uh, embarrassment. Yeah, the ulti- it's the ultimate embarrassment that that we didn't sell two two thousand yeah. tickets out of thirty three thousand. I mean, that's which whichever. That's what it's. It's not even a story, man. It'd be a story if it was like fifteen thousand. If they went like they've not sold half the tickets, that's a story. That's out of thirty three thousand, they've not. They've returned two thousand. That's not a story. Fuck off. That's banter betting sites comparing what Coventry took. <laughs> Check a trade trophy. It's just like, oh. Uh, just, anyway, hey, you got anything to add, or have we covered the just the, the son of the ultimate embarrassment in life? And yeah. you know, the sooner they kind of go out of business, the better for us all, really. Yeah, absolutely. And with social media, they don't get away with anything, and there is a mm. movement for that. So I think that's the great thing about it's, social media in general. I think that the that as much as the media do their thing. I feel as though social media and podcasts like this have given us a voice. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, Co- yeah. I don't feel like... Of course, like Kofi McKenzie's articles are now seen by everyone. Exactly. You can't, you can't just write what he wants. And, yeah, and, and we saw Raheem Sterling as well with the kind of the witch hunt that started up around him. Because, um, you know, we were talking earlier about kind of Mike Keegan's article. It would have done very well in this instance. No question about it. He will be sitting there right now very pleased with himself. But with Raheem Sterling and you know how farcical it got with the kind of stories about his dirty car and all the rest of it, the reaction from rival fans, it wasn't the reaction from City fans, it was reaction from United fans and Liverpool fans saying, what's this about? This is, we don't want to read this, this is stupid. So we've all got to get together on this and it's yeah. going to be a slow process because by our nature we're tribal. We basically support our club and look for any excuse to take the piss out of our rivals. We've got to get bigger than that, and we've got to get together on it, and it's going to take time. I but when it happening. does, when it does start to happen, then people like Mike Keegan and all the other journalists will think it's not beneficial to us to write these articles anymore because all we get is predominantly criticism for it. How far away we are from that, I don't know, but that day will come because football fans now are just the new new villains in modern football. We're the ones who take the blame for everything. Exactly. And it fucking stinks. Exactly. It stinks to high heaven. We're the ones who have to shell out for the money. We're the ones who have to take all go, the crappy trains and get re- rearranged and, and have our lives rearranged around football and pay through the nose for it and drink tepid, crappy beer. It stinks. It really does. Real but then when we all say we've had enough of this, that's when it ends, or at least that, that'll be the beginning of the end. And Rio Ferdinand and Paul Scholes chuckling at, you know, criticising never paid for a ticket in their life. Yeah. Sat in the studio going, you know, criticising fans. Oh, what, what, what was it Rio Ferdinand said on that it. Champions League game? Something about how City fans prefer watching The Apprentice at home. I was watching The Apprentice, you utter twat, before the game because I couldn't afford to go then. I've been home and away for years. On that particular real... day, I couldn't afford to go. Exactly. And yet Rio Ferdinand... Oh, sitting in there in a lovely fancy studio watching the game for free. This it is, stinks. The point that you made is is, is absolutely spot on. That, that that 
this is a collective thing about supporters. This isn't just about being in the city bubble and there being an agenda against City. This is about the disrespect that your average football supporter gets from the quote-unquote football media. And whether it's newspapers running articles about how ha-ha they can't sell out their stadium or it's Rio Ferdinand as a pundit, they're all equally out of touch because... The yeah. media guy, the you Mike Keegan to this world. These guys. When was the last time that they actually paid for a, for a, for a Premier League ticket? When was the last time they had to pay for their travel for an away game? These guys go to nice, cozy press boxes. They get their scram for free when they arrive. Do you know what I mean? They get all of their travel sorted out. They get their tickets sorted out, and then they have the temerity to sit there and take the piss out of working class people who maybe, maybe football's pretty much the only thing that they can afford to do, and they do it as much as they can. Do you know what I mean? It's just. Yeah. The key difference as well, though, is that people like Mike Keegan, there's an awareness there. With someone like Rio Ferdinand or Paul Scholes, they're just in this like footballer bubble. They haven't a clue. They just live in this kind of regal life that is just so alien to the rest of us. Mike Keegan knows what he's doing. He knows what the Salford City makes them one of the people or something. It doesn't. Gary Neville's the king of trying to hold himself up as the man of the people. And he just lived a different life to us so don't yeah, pretend not at all mate not at stick all stick to building disgusting tower blocks he's uh, going to be the uh, he's, he's, he's like Robbie Fowler and he's going to be the new slumlord of Manchester yeah. Gary Neville as you wait and see anyway anyway I think uh, we've done more than enough there uh, well <laughs> we've, we've done the right amount of enough so thank you very much uh, for you both for appearing on this agenda show thank you Stick thank uh, you pleasure mate go, go and have a hot toddy and <laughs> 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 thank you Asan Pleasure, mate. I always loved doing yeah. the agenda show. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, if you like what we've what you've heard today, and you surely did, uh, please do. If you've not already subscribed uh, on iTunes or on any podcast app, uh, and please, please, as we're quite a new uh, podcast re rebirth, uh, please do share our podcast if you like them on social media. Uh, we'll be back soon with many more shows. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.